Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, April 24th. Game four. How are we feeling? I'm joined as I always am by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing tense. It's a bit of a interesting thing where yes we're both rocking our toronto maple leaf swag we i've basically spent the last 50 weeks saying nothing about this team matters except a certain two weeks and here we are in the grip of those two weeks and i'm feeling the tension um not a whole lot going on outside of that how have you been not too bad sore a lot of a lot of frisbee this weekend but we got through it, got to cap a long Saturday, had tryouts in the morning, practice in the evening. Then we all went after practice to the bar across the street to watch third period Ooh. and overtime. So you missed Ten the Leafs second. fans and I believe one <laughs> non-Leafs, like anti-Leafs fan. I don't actually know what team he cheers for. Right. Just a Leafs uh, hater though. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, tempers flared. Mostly at the TV, not at each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty crazy third period to tune into. Um, and what a what a win for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, you've done a nice job skipping right over the start section, and that's fine. I didn't have much for this week. So we'll just jump right into talking hockey then and talk the Maple Leafs before we get to basketball and other sporting tidbits. Um a series that has had a bit of everything so far a game one blowout loss that it's kind of interesting fate keeps making it so that one of us don't have to watch the leafs at their worst i didn't have power all of game one so i was mercifully spared from that experience i don't even know how long i would have kept the game on game two is a smashing blowout win for the leafs and game three how many times have we felt like we generated so many scoring chances and just the goalkeeper stood on their head? We played so well 90% of the game and just blew it in the last 10%. How many games have we deserved to win that we lost as Leafs fans? It felt like karma finally righted itself. The scales balanced. A game three that sees a good scoring first period with Tampa managing to tie it each time, an abysmal second period, a mediocre third period, followed by a fairly mediocre overtime um, featuring a fluke game-winning goal by Morgan Riley. I feel like the blowouts don't have that much to comment on either way, so I'm happy to just dive right into Game 3 Hero, unless you want to add anything before. Shout out to Ilya Samsonov. Man. What a game. And after game one, when he got shelled, people started pulling up the playoff statistics and how he did not play well in Washington, had such a great season. And and just like the rest of this team, it the narrative became, we'll take a look. Let's reevaluate when playoffs roll around. And that first game shivered my timbers and he was able to right the ship. And, and correct course and played outstanding uh, in the game on Saturday night. And like you said, Max, uh, th- this team doesn't win these types of games. They just don't. 
The last time the Leafs won an overtime playoff game was the Washington Capitals series. Wow. And it feels like if you have a two-by-two matrix with, like, you're the better team and you win, you're the better team and you lose, you're the worst team and you lose, you're the worst team and you win, that last option just never occurred for the Leafs. Like, the other three occur most of the time with being the better team still a lot of tension um but this game really felt like a step of maturity and progress for the maple leafs as playoff contenders just oh like you're lucky you didn't have to watch that second period no offense generated whatsoever it felt like every time tampa wanted to make a breakout pass they set up an odd man rush uh samsonov several many stand on his head saves you you knew with just so many icings like it was only a matter of time before the lightning were going to pounce with the home ice line maneuvering and then you knew the Leafs were going to come out better in the third period and they did they cleaned up like the biggest errors and looked like a hockey team but something still wasn't happening and then I really feel like Matthews fighting Riley or fighting uh, Stamkos. Riley stepping up. Calling it like he he, he kind of just got ragdolled in a sense. He didn't he, really give much back. He gave a lot back in spirit. He <laughs> okay. he who had scored a game, but then had a quiet second and third period as a leader of the team took like a physical stand uh stood up for riley like put himself out there to just and that's winning hockey i think like one of those variables you can't quite track with any stat no matter how much you try but it it felt like the right thing to do in the moment and I, i saw momentum change after that uh it seemed better and then a really bad start to pulling the goalie in that six on five like didn't get the break in tampa got it back in our end the leafs had to scramble but these guys looked like professionals they with with the sense of urgency but keeping their common poise they got the puck in secured it you love this team with the extra man advantage because just whoever has the puck when all our best players on the ice you know they're going to make the right play, whether it's to the open ice or to the open man. Nylander, the one with the space and time on this one, does a great job reading the screen passes, puts it right in front of the net. And Ryan O'Reilly does exactly what we did to get him. It, that's another piece of this playoff run that might be over in three days, six days for all we know. But so many times it's felt like we went out to get a piece and it just wasn't it. Um, I'm blanking on the name, Nick Foligno, like guys like that, where it it was just, you spent big, you didn't have much expectations, more expectations for the same buck. And he's actually producing the goaltending was great. Ryan O'Reilly was great. Morgan Riley, after having a bad first two periods, uh, I, I I thought the play on point was a nothing play and there was no dirtiness. I thought they were both going fast. I thought they got tangled up. I thought O'Reilly lost his balance more than anything else. And 
that kind of woke Riley up too. Uh, I don't know how much credit to give him on that game winning goal. I don't know how much credit he takes for himself, but I'm buzzing after that game three win. It's the playoffs. Like you throw it on net and magical things happen. And it was twice there for the Leafs. Nylander throwing it on net and Riley throwing it on net. And yeah, they escape. And the hit you mentioned, it's super unfortunate. Um, I thought it was insane that no penalties were called after that scrum, like in the rest of the third period and into overtime. Yeah. Pat Maroon ran McCabe through his numbers into the boards and there were about four trips going and i'm not saying leafs lightning like both ways just missed or calls that just were not made and i don't know what the refs told perry and tavares because for the most part like it was physical but there wasn't any other uh craziness i expected two more fights in that period i thought Tanner Janot was going to go on the ice and skate directly to Riley and try and rip his head off. That That is a thing that I thought was going to happen at one point in that period. So the refs must have been very explicit in that if anything remotely related to fighting occurred, you were going home for the night. And because the game was a one-goal game and not a five-goal game like game two, the teams had to stay in line for the most part. Yeah, that, that was another part I liked about that third period fighting energy. It was just a bit of a response to that attitude that Tampa took at the end of game two. Like, hey, you're going to win. You're not like coming out unscathed. We're taking a piece of you with us and keeping it for the next game. Uh, like when that's the kind of spirit you're up against, you need to match and combat that. But yeah, it's so tense though. You You never know when the refs are going to retighten the leash on the whistle. Uh, so, so many plays like, like you in a one goal or overtime game, you don't want to be the player who takes the penalty that causes the goal. Uh, that was just a really tense, wonderful game three. And I heading into game four tonight, we've seen some of everything thus far in this series. I, I don't, have strong expectations for the rest of it in a predictive way play physical keep banging these guys up um the injury gods have definitely been on tilting the ice on our side so far throughout the series and if nothing else you like the leafs to come out in the series for that but yeah we'll definitely both be watching game four and stick our thoughts about it after around here it's going to be very indicative of what kind of year it is based on the first five minutes of the game tonight. Because you know Tampa is going to come out with an urgency and a ferocity that they have not shown yet in this series. And the Leafs need to match it. And so I'm very, very intrigued to see what we're going to get tonight. Still waiting for Vasilevsky to have one of those shut-the-door uh, games too so we'll see if that's tonight and you will hear about that right here i said this was a different team that like the team a couple days ago was a flipping of the script of games that the toronto maple leafs like we've seen them have so many where they're the better team 
and they have to fight so hard to not drop the comeback. So many games. Oh, I can barely speak. We have jumped into the three hours from recording this podcast where the Toronto Maple Leafs have just won game four in overtime, 4-3, after being down 4-1 at the end of the second period. You go back to that game seven against Boston where we put up the 4-1 lead and so many curses began. Like in my wildest dreams going into this third period, I was hoping for the third period that the lightning had at the end of game two, where you show them some scraps, some fighting spirit. But Austin Matthews leading the way, getting two goals in that period uh, after a disastrous first two periods of special teams where maybe you lose the rest of the game 60 40 but you give up a penalty or a goal on the penalty kill you get nothing on your power plays you get a big power play goal from 4-2 to 4-3 to really make it a game you start winning the entry getting puck possession and then you get the second line getting the power play goal at the end in the overtime game after the first line had had a half decent power play Kerfoot, Giordano friends we've made along the way. Oh, I'm losing my mind. I'm losing. I am actually losing with my girlfriend, my poor girlfriend and any deity <laughs> my, or my any deity that, that, that you believe in the heavens above as my witness. I, I still believed in this team. Okay. I I had no anything I, in my head you going know on. You know what? As a Leafs fan, you're you're already. Oh, I left food cooking on the stove. <laughs> okay, there's a no, lot no. going on right now. If you need to go take no, take no. care of it, I can talk so with with God <laughs> as my witness. I did not give up on this team, and they they did it. They like, did it. Columbus, do you remember the comeback? There's been so many, I've In the kind of forgot them all. Of the pandemic, <laughs> when you and our fathers were watching it on the, on the, in the backyard, and they came back from four one, and they lost in overtime. Mm-hmm. And I thought they just, they couldn't lose this game. They just <laughs> simply couldn't lose it after they came back. And it true, this like this is catharsis. This is. A moment, I am hoping, but this is a moment that feels very different, right? They don't win those types of games. They don't win game three. They certainly don't win tonight. And they did it somehow. And I was screaming from the rooftops. I mean, we talked about it right before we got on. The first 10 minutes is going to show what kind of team this is. And it showed. They came out so flat. Inconceivably flat. and. They still won this game. I simply, I, I can't, I can't comprehend. Give the Lightning some credit. They had a lot to prove. They have a lot of talent. They've been there before. Nikita Kucherov is terrifying with the puck in the slot. Uh, two absolute out of this world wizardry uh, displays of playmaking from him. Uh, the Steven Stamkos does a fantastic job getting to the net. The Lightning's elite, talented core did what they have done for many years. And it was more than a storm the Leafs had to weather, but they weathered it. Uh, a, a completely 
different second period from game three where the Leafs played terribly and the results didn't show. The second period, the Leafs don't play nearly as bad, but the results look a lot worse. Uh, and again, you go back to Austin Matthews coming out and getting us a goal in the first 10 minutes of that third period. Suddenly two goals, you scored the empty netter at the end of uh, the last game, or excuse me, the six on five. But but with the when you score that power play goal 4-3, it didn't even feel like we might need it. Like you said, it, the momentum built and they kept it. Uh, Four-line hockey we're rolling our our core is going nylander matthews tavares have their blueprint have their fingertips all over the blueprints to victory in different ways throughout this game morgan riley might be the best toronto maple leaf in this series so far i, I don't know which riley man which riley <laughs> it's unbelievable it's true but i want to give all the credit in the world to morgan riley right now like this is game game two game three game four he has been magnificent He's always felt a bit underrated. I don't know if my mic is picking up my text messages blowing up right now in the family group chat, uh, but he has truly been a two-way elite defenseman who can skate the puck at like the highest level. It's been fantastic to see. And Ilya Samsonov is staring Andre Vasilevsky in the face and not blinking. Some like, of those Matthew Nyes scraped it off the goal. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I can't forget that. You go back to that. I don't know if that was 3-1 or 4. I think it was 3-1, but you you go into that third period 5-1, and I know if that goal goes in, it's a completely different rest of the second period. But wow, I game five, I don't know who Bunting's taking out. I don't know where Bunting's playing. Um <laughs> I, I guess he if doesn't you, touch the if, ice. He does not touch the ice. Yeah, I, I'm. He can't. I'm not upset. I mean, game one, the Leafs lose with him in game two, three, and four. The Leafs win in varying ways. Um, if he plays, I'd want him like almost on the fourth line or something, taking out yeah. Aston Reese. Yeah, um, that's basically it. That's the spot. Kerfoot scoring the game winner, like that, might have been the guy you put on the chopping block because for. 60 59 minutes he did nothing oh i'm a big curfew fan well no but the last five minutes of that third period and then over time all of a sudden he was buzzing the entire game i barely mentioned his name and then he just all of a sudden the speed came through like he seemed the freshest him willie and nice just were buzzing around like they were the fastest players on the ice tonight and and tampa just it seemed like they wore down near the end of that game they didn't have anything left in the tank I mean, you think about the impact Matthews had in that third period, and you think about how that overtime goal came on the from the second power play unit after some possession, some attempts, certainly better than the first period power play, um, but still a pretty solid penalty killing effort from Tampa, and that's where the wearing down takes effect. So many of our goals this series have come from the science of playoff hockey shot bodies in front of the net shots from the point uh two or two of them coming this game three if you count the kneelander from the edges to the matthews deflection yeah so i'd say three this 
this team is learning playoff hockey one year, one series, one acquisition at a time. So the Leafs now two and 18 in their last 20 when they are trailing in, or sorry, when they are leading in a playoff series, that just the second time they've won a game, the first uh, when they're ahead in a long time, the first being up against uh, Montreal, where we saw them blow a 3-1 series. If they have truly learned and progressed and become a better team, game <laughs> My my Game Dylan five. origin story is us <laughs> not even just it being a Game Seven. I would I would turn into the Joker. <laughs> it, look, I, I'm not making any threats or promises, but it is a good thing that delete I'm this not footage in... at FBI. Delete this footage. All I'm saying is if I had a baseball bat and was standing in front of Victor Hedman's knees, I don't know what decision I would make. I, the whole night, it's so bad. I was just saying, cross-check him in the hand, cross-check him in the hand, every scrum. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, I, I had no expectations at the start of this game. I thought, of course, the Leafs are going to lose. They go down. I had no expectations. They... They t get it close. I have no expectations. They send it to overtime with the track record we've had. I had no expectations. So all of this has been a wonderful surprise. I'm worried they're get they're getting my hopes up just a little, just just a little. Uh, Dallas Green did an interview apparently with Ryan O'Reilly. He said, "You know, if you guys win this thing, we might actually bring the CN Tower down." And like the first chain sealing that beast has been opened tonight for me. Anything else? No, I just need to go take a cold shower. <laughs> All right, this uh, this is definitely going on YouTube, but for the people who have been listening in the podcast, we will be returning back to when the rest of the podcast was recorded at approximately 6-something, 7 p.m., uh, blissful before this. Owen has been doing most of this podcast, holding the microphone, standing in his kitchen. Uh, I'd check out the YouTube footage just for that. Back to the past, Sports Next Door, coming right back to you. Any other hockey notes you want to get to before we move on? Nah, feels good. My uh, The Wild Stars locked in a 2-2 tie. That was one of the series we differed on. Boston is mincing up the Panthers minus Bergeron. He'll be back for game five. I see them closing that series out with the emotional lift that they're going to get. And Marchand is finally going to be unleashed. Um, he couldn't be his full complete self while he had to maintain the captaincy role with, with Bergeron away. Yeah, that's really the hockey notes. The Devils get a big overtime win to, to stay in things. The Kraken have given the abs a bit more of a tighter race i think than they were expecting and overall the playoff hockey has been fun but i mean every every playoff team has now won a game in every series which just shows yeah. the parody of the nhl we don't have a sweep like we did in the sixers Nets series even without joel Embiid. well that's a nice segue you want to elaborate at all there yeah uh in the end nets could just not generate enough offense philadelphia had more depth and 
they were able to close out the series. And now with Atlanta at least winning game three against Boston, the Sixers get an extra couple of days to try and get Embiid healthy. But I think it's very likely that he's going to miss the first couple games of the series, which is rather unfortunate for us as basketball fans and super unfortunate for the Sixers, who it felt like similar to Leafs Lightning, this had been locked in for a long time, that they were going to be the three seed and it was going to be Celtics or Bucks second round. You've got to climb this big mountain to even get into the conference finals. And now they're, quite frankly, outgunned, depending against this Boston team. If once we see Boston go through, I, I think they win game five at home. But the the Sixers has to have to hope that Atlanta at least takes a bite out of the Celtics team. They're not really built for that. Or they somehow steal game five because they just need more time. And if Embiid's not healthy, it, it's they're going to be in a deep hole. And... Yeah, that's really all All I can say much more on that. The Hawks tried to play with a little bit of life, but they just cannot stay in front of this Celtics team. Jalen Brown's been really awesome in this series so far. Just such a quick, explosive first step that no one on the Hawks can contain. Um, and then you've seen Brogdon and Derek White. They're sixth and seventh man of the year. Brogdon legitimately with the trophy, but Derek mm. White's right up there as well and has played outstanding defense on Trey Young. I mean, he wasn't in the consideration just because he was a starter for so much of the year, I think, and did an exemplary job of it. It is terrifying depth off the bench that the Celtics have, and we've known that for most of the regular season. And Tatum getting a bit of an elbow in, being able to say, <laughs> hey, availability, the best form of ability for that MVP race uh, with both Giannis and Embiid having struggles early and neither playing more than 70 games this regular season it's not like they had an iron man stretch uh there just seems to be not like it it's a debate i see on twitter i see so many like i saw something last week about how michael jordan played his last season with the wizards playing like almost 80 something of the games i think and had a knee the size of a grapefruit at the end of it his NBA career, I don't know. Like our playoffs, our injuries just always a part of the playoffs. It has the game changed in a way that makes players more injury prone. Has players changed in a way that makes their body types more injury prone? Like it, it's just so unfortunate that we're five games into the NBA regular season and two of the three uh, leaders in the MVP race missing significant time. Yeah, it's good to note that as the Bucs uh, play in Miami in game four tonight, again without Giannis. And uh, they're going to be in tough with a Miami team that can really hound and harass you on the defensive end if you're without your best player. And unless Middleton and Holiday can have superstar performances, they're going to drag you into the mud with them. And, and they bombed out Milwaukee in game three, winning by 22 and setting a tone that they smell blood in the water against this team yeah. without their best player. It's so crazy. This Heat team looked like a complete joke after the loss to the Hawks, and you could write the season off. And I'd say they're now favorites to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I wouldn't say that. We got to talk about the New York Knicks, my friend. You, you'd take the Knicks over the Heat? 
I would. The okay. Knicks are playing bully ball right now. And I you still say Jimmy Butler's the best player in that series, but Jalen Brunson has been off the charts in terms of what he has provided in terms of leadership and shot making for this New York Knicks team. And the Madison Square Garden experience is on 11 right now, DEFCON 5 right now, as the New York Knicks take another game over the Cavaliers. They're playing ferocious defense in their own right, really locking in on Mitchell and Garland, and there's not much the Cavs can do in terms of creating offense from their other players. Mobley is still not at that level yet. And Jared Allen and whoever third person you insert is a zero on offense. And Mitchell hasn't been the same type of creator and freak that he has been throughout the entire season, which is why he got a lot of nods for all NBA. Garland started to come alive in this series, but they're both going to have to score over 50 combined for the rest of this series to keep the Cavaliers in it as the Knicks have just gotten excellent performances from uh, from Brunson, from Josh Hart. Mitchell Robinson has been the most physically imposing player. And even though Julius Randle hasn't played well offensively, he has big brothered this Cavaliers team with his physicality and his defense. And the Knicks just, the crowd feeds right into a team like this. So blue collar, right? All these markets that you think are white collar, don't care fans. There's that core underneath. It's the Leafs too, right? All they want to see is you work hard and get results and they will die for you. Yeah. And there's certain types of players and certain types of playing styles that will just lend themselves to being a fan favorite and certain ones that go the other way. You think about William Nylander as a guy who certainly goes the other way, but Jalen Brunson, like, like it feels like you and Mitch Marner are guys. You can just like check it all off. Yeah. Uh, the hometown, the ability to step up the consistency, the leadership, like, like, it's really not surprising at all to me after this playoff run Jalen Brunson had last year, a second man to Luca and like really helped the Bucks or the Mavericks in those non-Luca minutes and looked like a number one option potential uh, to see him do exactly that and that he has the clutch, the poise, whatever you want to call that gene to do it on one of the biggest sporting stages in the world, all the more impressive and all the more great a story. Speaking of clutch, we have to talk about the best series so far of these playoffs. Sacramento, Golden State, knotted up at two. We get a one-point game that comes down to a Harrison Barnes three. Hits back iron. The Kings so close to stealing game four on the road. But now the series is tied, going back to Sacramento. Steph Curry desperately tried to throw this game away late after playing so phenomenally the entire game, calls a timeout. They don't have one. That's a technical free throw and the ball for Sacramento. And with the Warriors up five at that point, it gives the ball to Sacramento now a four-point game. Darren Fox hits a walk-up three in the face of Draymond Green. They get the stop on a Curry missed floater with 17 seconds left on the shot clock, meaning they have 10 seconds left in this game. 
And I hated the play call from Mike Brown, who had been so stellar and has been awesome in the four games. Really good defensive schemes, getting guys open, letting De'Aaron Fox cook. And right here, you set the screen to try and get Fox onto, onto, or onto Curry as the matchup. But you know that Curry is not going to give that up. He's going to hedge, and they're going to force Fox to get rid of the ball. You either let Fox go one-on-one with Draymond, who put up one of the best defensive performances we've seen in this early playoffs. So you don't necessarily love that, but Fox theoretically should be able to even blow by Draymond. As great as he is, he's just not as quick in that vertical straight line speed. But even if you're worried about that, maybe you call something to switch him into Wiggins, who's still getting his footing, or switching into Thompson, where the Warriors might actually give up that switch as opposed to to Curry coming out and blitzing it and hedging and, and then recovering, and it's a contested shot from Barnes. So I didn't love the play call. Luckily, they're still on serve, and they do have home court advantage, but I just think the longer this series goes, the more it favors the Warriors and their poise and experience and the greatness from especially those top three guys. I think it would be kind of hilarious if this game won seven and the Kings won with the Warriors not winning a game at home and the home team Warriors are the hypothetical (laughs) playoff champions of this year but can't make it out of the first round. Yeah, and then other series in the West, the Nuggets continue to really look like the only true number one seed kind of a uh, bummer that they lost that game four and over yeah, yesterday uh, they they really needed to close that one out because not, sorry go ahead i was gonna say not a lot of suspense in that series but maybe you're gonna add some no just they probably wanted to wrap that one up quickly because it looks like this sun's clippers series is going to be over in short order now Kawhi. No timetable for his return with the knee yeah. injury. So unfortunate. Westbrook Renaissance. He's now looked like the second best player in that series behind either Durant or Booker. It's unbelievable what he's turned into. But it's just not enough without that number one guy. And they don't have Paul George or Kawhi, which is really unfortunate for the Clippers because looking at what they've been able to do against the Suns team, minus their two best players, feels like they really did have a shot to go deep as they have the last three, four years. If we look back in time and the bubble run was the one chance the Clippers had, uh, it's just going to be such a... like that. Yeah, it's such a... I, I have mixed feelings about it. Like, I largely do hate the super team thing but as far as it goes the one with the clippers didn't feel that egregious um and i think like it's really hard to be a fan of basketball and not be a fan of Kawhi leonard's game so like just an all-around shame there and let's be honest i really really hate two players on the sun so like i'm always gonna hurt against them yeah yeah Last series here, also in LA. Cool little time lapse of the uh, Clippers playing early in the day, and then the arena crew comes in, flips it over for the Lakers for the night game. And this game three was over in the first quarter. The Lakers jumped out to a, I think, is forty-four to nine lead at one point. 
Just wow. stupid, stupid first quarter. Uh, and then from there, seemingly coasted the rest of the way. It ended up being a 10-point game. John Morant scored 22 straight points in the fourth quarter and, and really went off. No one could contain him, but felt like the Lakers were coasting there near the end. So interesting to see what kind of response the Grizzlies give in game four. Any thoughts on the Dylan Brooks nut shot? I, I actually didn't see it. Like I he's such ah, I hate that he's Canadian because he's just yeah. acting like a clown right now. And there's parts of it where it's he could be a really great guy to have on a team with the type of attitude that he brings, but he just seems to go. It's very much like a bunting and cadre where you just it goes one extra step further than it needs to. Man, more people need to put Marchand in their textbooks, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. fired around the NBA here. Last note is Did you just say fired around the NBA. A little bit poignant, a little bit on the nose. Nick Nurse fired from his job in the NBA. He will likely be moving around the NBA to a new job, although not Houston, as they've hired Ime Udoka, who is Shit. the Raptors front runner to replace Nick Nurse. But uh, a lot of people asked me my opinion on the Nick Nurse firing this past week because for some reason in the Canadian news outlets, it was very much portrayed that things were fine. He's the most successful coach, obviously, we've ever had in his five-year run. He had piled up the wins, but it's been a wonky last couple of three years. He's trying to manage the expectations of younger guys stepping up into roles and wanting more responsibility and, and wanting to take on more. And from what I've heard around American media sources is there's been a lot of dysfunction in the Raptors locker room, which just didn't make its way into Sportsnet and TSN and these other Canadian outlets, which I wonder if MLSC has a hand in or if there's just that Canadian sheen that they put on the Raptors. Like if this was the Leafs, we would be getting every dirty detail of all the stuff that is said between Nick Nurse. His salary got leaked. That is an yeah. instant Whenever that happens, you know the guy's out the door. But all the OG rumors of him being unhappy, the Siakam nurse beef that we saw last year, and there's still bits of it. The overall writing was on the wall for Nick Nurse, and it's time that the Raptors get a change. Very thankful for what he did. He's the second coach of the year that they fired in six years, but <laughs> it's it's time for a fresh face and a fresh ideal and. Hopefully it comes with us getting a player. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to. Well, that's why we're here. I'll finish the thought. Uh, a player who can reliably create for himself and for others when it matters most. Yeah, I, I think we touched on some of what made me happy, like open to the idea of seeing a coach who's been as successful as Nurse go, which was largely in the stuff I saw, just the development of young players side-by-side uh, side with the Raptors winning rate. If you are a top three team in your conference and you are winning more than 50 games a season, it's one thing to bench young players, but if you are a 500 team with so much youth, um, it, it's really frustrating. And I remember at the beginning of this season saying to you, it feels like a lot of the league has taken a step forward this year. 
and teams are gonna fare this season based on if they moved with or if they stayed still and thus fell behind and with the youth the raptors had i really thought the chances were in their favor to take as big a step forward as anyone but we didn't see enough of that this season there are increasing reports of behind the scenes tension also with uh, one assistant coach um yeah what what this says to me in addition to all that is that i'm not expecting a lot of personnel changes on the roster i think this is a way as management to justify changing one thing like oh the materials were good the blueprint just wasn't quite there let's try and work with the same stuff but like reshape our ideals and focus i don't think you bring in a new coach new philosophy and a bunch of new players dumping them out but we'll see um so i think raptors fandom is going to be split over that potential non-move but as someone who had a lot of hopes for this team coming into this season i do want to see them give it one more run largely intact Van fleet can go though Ooh. ouch yeah uh, I like the move overall. I think it's going to be good to get a fresh perspective. There's not much roster and contract flexibility that they have to move off of this core that they've established. But I'm wondering if we'll see more space for this younger group of players to play as management will be hiring a coach who is willing to invest time in growing players like Malachi Flynn, Christian Coloco. Uh, and then whoever kind of falls in, but obviously Scotty Barnes uh, and Precious Achua, but whoever even falls in behind those guys. Yeah, so we'll see. All right, that uh, wraps up the meat and potatoes of the podcast. I know we have a couple more things to get to. Yours is a little more pressing than mine, so I'll let you go first. Yeah, Laurie Markinen named NBA's <laughs> most improved player. That Just was your- announced. Perfect okay. timing. Perfect timing. No, uh, football fan cave here. Aaron Rodgers is a New York Jet Max. Wow. Yeah. Following in Brett Favre's footsteps once again <laughs> in his uh, storied career, long career, 39 years Hopefully of age. Hopefully for the last time. Yeah. Well, who knows? But quite the quite the move. Quite the move. Shocked. No one, though, because we knew it was going to happen. And surprising that it came just days before the NH or NFL draft, pardon me. And I actually, reading the trade, the details of the trade as it happened, and I had it up here, and of course now it's gone. Here we go. Rodgers went to the Jets with, a, with the 15th pick in the draft, as well as a fifth-round selection. And in return, the Packers received the 13th pick in this year's draft, a second-year-round pick from this year's draft, a sixth-round pick from this year's draft, and then a conditional second-round pick in 2024, which converts into a first if Rodgers plays 65% of snaps for the Jets this season. Uh, I really don't know what you're going to get out of Rodgers, but for a potential Super Bowl franchise-leading quarterback, that doesn't sound too bad, no. even at the twilight of a career. 
especially compared to what the Browns gave up for Deshaun Watson, especially for what, who was the, uh, the, oh God, now I can't even remember. Russell Wilson, of course, how could I forget as a Broncos <laughs> fan, right? You retain your pick in this year's draft, which I imagine was very important for the Jets, given the fact that the draft is a week away and they spent all their time and resources scouting players. So they wanted to keep their pick because they know who they want to take at 15. So that was definitely a sticking point. And that's probably what held up a lot of the negotiations on this trade. And in the end, the Packers relented. They get to keep their up pick in the first round as well. Um, they get the they get to move up two spots. And then, of course, they'll likely get a first in next year's draft. I Rodgers has been pretty healthy throughout the majority of his career. He's going to play a lot of games. And the Packers finally move off of him. Big cap relief. They're able to now go back to their bread and butter, build on their defense that has been really good in recent years. They now get a chance to give Jordan Love a try. Or at 13, there's still going to be a quarterback prospect on the board that they could go for. So they do have some flexibility there. Uh, and then they just get to to build up the picks cupboard a little bit more. And then the Jets, of course, this raises your ceiling as a team. You're going from Joe Flacco and Zach Wilson to Aaron Rodgers who is going to have a weapon like Garrett Wilson, who's he's going to love. Um, it's very similar to Devontae Adams in the way that those two players operate uh, athletically. And it's going to be really fun. He's going to have some great weapons in the backfield as well. And, uh, and a fantastic offensive line. This Jets offensive line is really, really underrated. And that's going to be a big difference for Rodgers as a lot of his years where he had a ton of success, the offensive line was, wasn't was very good. It's gotten better the last couple of years and has given him time, and and that's why he went back-to-back MVPs uh, two and three seasons ago. So I like the trade for both sides. It took them long enough, but it's a cool little bit of news right here before the, the NFL draft, and of course they're going to steal more time away from NHL and NBA playoffs as they can. It's classic NFL move. All right wrap up the pod with a bit of tennis we had a relative down week with less no events with more than 500 points up for grabs in the atb that one being barcelona which carlos alcaraz successfully defended his title at without dropping a set takes out stefano Tsitsipas in the finals who you're starting to look and like question the year Tsitsipas is having and wonder if there's a bit of a curse for losing in the finals at the Australian Open over the last two years. You think about Medvedev doing it last year and then having his worst year. And so far, it's looked like other than that Grand Slam finals run, which for some players makes the year on its own. But Sitsi passes at a level where he's trying to take that last final step to becoming a Grand Slam champion. Yeah. He was Mr. Consistent last year. Oh, like the reason he has such a high ranking is because he went to the quarterfinals, I think, of every single Masters that he competed in. And he was the only player on tour to manage that uh, with plenty of semis and finals appearances in there as well. But this year, he's been dropping out early in most of the Masters events. Um, like, fails to defend Monte Carlo. I can't even remember who he lost to in the two Sunshine double ones. So a finals run to Barcelona seems better, but uh, still 
like losing to Alcaraz in straight sets and just the fact that, I mean, for so many of these quote unquote next gen guys, like this 19 year old soon to be 20 is taking everything they worked for and dreamed about for probably five years. And he doesn't even seem to be sweating while he does it. Um, Holger Rune very much built from the same cut from the same cloth. He also successfully defends a title he won last year this week in Berlin. Also does it in straight sets, a pretty straightforward, easy run of the draw. The big story this week came out of Bosnia. I I really tried to learn how to pronounce this tournament and I really couldn't. But Lajovic defeats his fellow countryman Novak Djokovic in the quarterfinals and then defeats last week's 1000 Masters champion Andrei Rublev in the finals. Uh, two massive wins on a run at a 250 tournament, near feel-good story of the month in tennis and a significant move up the rankings for Lajovic. So congratulations to him. This week, we've got another 1,000 Masters level event happening in Madrid. Minus Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal, which is really starting to get concerning for the Roland Garros timing. And also just if that's the first clay tournament, Rafa plays as a favorite. Or sorry, like this year, this will probably be the least favored he's ever been at Roland Garros, maybe since he was his first time playing it. Other than that, all of the big boys, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Rune, Kasper Rudd, Felix is back on the tour after taking time off since Miami. Uh, plenty of other names to watch for in the Dark Horse underdog as well. <laughs> so I think that wraps up in one week or two weeks. They, they made a bunch of them 10 days instead of seven days. Either way, looking forward to the tennis, and we'll have updates on that on the next pod. Anything else, though? That's it for me. We got 15 minutes here until puck drop, so say your prayers. If you've made it here, you've already heard how the game ends from our earlier bit, which we'll record later. But till then, until next week, Sports Next Door signing out. You get to the station, there's this crazy sound.